0: I want to thank you, along with with Wes and uh, the the parents of these teens and the teens themselves, just for uh, your willingness to to come alongside them and to pray for them. Uh, You know, make it part of your daily ritual to to lift these these uh, youth up before the Lord, that that He would do wonders in their life. Um, I don't know if you know this, but this generation who's going through high school right now is the first generation that we know of, whose stress levels is, are higher than their parents. Right? A lot of our, our youth, you know, they're, whether they're fairly or unfairly, they're going through a lot. They need your prayers. And so thank you all for, for your commitment. I, I really do appreciate it on, on their behalf as well. And uh, we want to see the Lord do mighty work in our, in our youth. So um, that being said, we're going to pray for a minute before we get into the word. Father, we give you thanks and praise uh, for your grace to us. And Lord, even now, I ask that you would open our hearts to, to hear you speak. And now, Lord, we, uh, before we even hear what you have to say as your people, we want to say yes to all that you call us to do and to be. Yes, a blank check to all that you desire. That you can come and have your way in us. Lord, convict us by your spirit. Set us free from the the bondages of of sin and and the ways that we we like to think about the world. Come and be all in all in us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I had a clenched jaw, pursed lips, and with a deep, unpleasant sigh to let her know that I was not happy, but yet I agreed. Such was common in our early early years of marriage as Liz would make an innocent and very justifiable request of me but yet I would react in a way that well was just probably ridiculous admittedly so there's something about the way that you know, these requests would come about and it was no fault of her own it was completely on me but um, it always just came across as as naggy was it naggy? no but being nagged was a sore spot for me. It's something that bothered me. And even if it just hinted at it, it'd make me pretty upset. Right? You know, we all have those sore spots, don't we, right? Those, those things that are part of our life where, you know, if it's like, if you even get around the area, we immediately get upset, angry, frustrated. Some of us lash out, others of us, well, we well, pretend that we're reasonable people. But deep down inside, you know, it's, it's a sore spot that as soon as it gets pressed, well, we get upset. But what happens when Jesus presses a sore spot? What happens when we come to him and he, he finds the thing that just gets, ups- gets us upset? And he likes to just depress it and see us squirm. How do we react to 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 him when he comes and does that well we're going to find out today all of us together because i'm pretty sure today jesus is going to touch on the sore spot Uh, and if you would turn in your bibles to mark chapter 10 if you're using the pew bible uh it's on page 1030 and jesus is about to to meet a, a young man who who's coming to him and well he has some he has a question and it's a good question but Jesus' response is going to surprise us, or it should surprise us. It's going to perhaps take us back, perhaps touch on one of these sore spots in our, in our life. Um, it, it has with mine, on many occasions, including this week, as I had to read through this multiple, multiple times. But as we are in Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17, uh, Jesus, well, he... Uh, a man encounters him. So starting at verse 17, it says Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, and he fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud honor your father and mother teacher he declared all these I've done since I was a boy Jesus looked at him and and loved him one thing you lack he said go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me at this the man's face fell he went away sad because he had great wealth and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, "How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God." The disciples were amazed at his words, and Jesus said again, "Children, how hard it is for the rich, or to, uh, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God." The, the disciples were even more amazed, and they said to each other, well, "Who then can be saved?" Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Can you remember the last time you had a spiritual conversation with somebody who was interested about Jesus? Perhaps, you know, you're sitting around, uh, you know, your living room with with somebody who, who came over, or in the break room at your office, or just at a, you met somebody at a coffee shop, and you end up having a you know a spiritual conversation, and they want to get to know, well, what Christianity is all about. Perhaps they may even say, well, you know, how is somebody saved? How does somebody have eternal life? And I can guarantee you one thing: you did not respond as Jesus just responded. It seems at some level that that Jesus had this opportunity and he blew it. Now, uh, several years ago in Halloween in 2011, Monday night football. There's an epic battle between the the Chargers and the Chiefs. There's less than a minute or about a minute left in the game. Score was tied 20-20. The Chargers had the ball on the Chiefs' 15-yard line. Their plan, snap it, take a knee, run some time off the clock, and then kick an easy field goal. Just, I mean, they're at the 15-yard line, not a big deal. The game was in their hand. And what happened? Well, the Chargers quarterback, Phillip Rivers, bungled the snap, fumbled it, the Chiefs recovered, game went into overtime, and the Chiefs ended up winning the chargers snatched victory or snatched defeat from the jaws of victory and it seems like on first glance that's what jesus does here man comes up to him what do i need to do to inherit eternal life desperate for the answer and jesus well seems to miss an opportunity what does he say well, initially, he, he says, well, he, he questions his assumption. He says, well, why do you call me good? The man comes, comes up to him, good teacher. He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Now, some people see, see this as Jesus denying that he is indeed good or denying that he is indeed God. But really, what Jesus is doing is he's making the man question, well, what's, what's going on with your assumptions? Why would you call me good? And then he tells him, well, to keep the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And the man responds, well, I, well I've done all these. Right? You know, Jesus, at some level, well, you know, he doesn't respond the way that you would expect him to. In all the evangelism books I have, this particular one is, is left out of the, their accounts. Never have I said, well, if somebody asks you how to be saved, you, you go ahead and you tell them, well, sell everything you have and come and follow Jesus. But that's exactly what Jesus does here. But what do we know about this man as he comes? Well, we know he's wealthy very wealthy. In the other gospel accounts, he's, you know, in Matthew, he's described as a, a young man. In Luke, he's described as a ruler, and so oftentimes he's referred to as the rich young ruler. But he's a man of status. He's a man of privilege, if you will. And he comes to Jesus, and you know, he's, he's wanting to know, and unlike so many of the other people of status in Jesus's era, he, he respects Jesus. He falls on his knees and says, Lord, I, I need an answer from you. He's desperate, perhaps worried. You know, he's, he's living this life, this seemingly good life, and yet there's something that's amiss. He needs some sort of assurance that, well, he's on the right side of, uh, with God. Something to really hammer through that his eternal security is, is going to be there. So he he says, Lord, well, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And let's think a moment and think about the things that Jesus does not do in this encounter. The things that, well, I would be tempted to do. He does not quibble with him about his, uh, you know, assessment of following the law. He He says, well, listen, I've done all these things since I was a boy. And you might think that Jesus, you know, the one who tells us that if you lust at a woman, you've committed adultery. Or if you've hated somebody, that you've committed murder to say, have you really? He doesn't do that. Nor does he make it easy. You know, when Paul and Silas are asked, well, what do I need to do do to be saved from the, you know, jailer? They were saying, well, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Why doesn't it, does Jesus not know the gospel? He doesn't correct him and say, listen, you're focused on doing. You just believe in me. And you're good to go. You know, I've sat through many altar calls through my, my time, and I have never heard the, re- the response like Jesus gives to, hey, you want to be saved right now? The Lord's speaking to you. Come, sign over your net worth, and you're good to go. The closest I know of that in history is, you know, Charles Finney in the Second Great Awakening who called slave masters to release all their slaves in order to be saved. But come, give all that you have? No, it's, it's not one of those things. Nor does Jesus try to make him happy, either with him or his message. The man leaves away sad, and Jesus lets him go. Nor does it seem that Jesus is concerned with this man of status, this man of wealth, this man of privilege and name, to be on his team. Where he's willing to let the standard slip a little bit. He has a disinterested love in him, right? Not uninterested, but disinterested, a dispassionate, not not biased towards what this man seems to offer to him and his movement every so often, every year or so, there seems to be a, a big name celebrity who makes some gesture towards Christianity and we can kind of get excited, you know, whether it's you know, Justin Bieber or Kanye or uh, the latest, you know, is Eminem who, you know, professed Jesus in, in one of his songs. And, and there's a couple of reactions to that. You know, one is to, to say, too, you know, too late. We don't really want you. But often what's more common is that, you know, we, we see this celebrity, this person who has, you know, fame and he's cool and he, you know, offers something to, to us as a people and just like get really excited about what they can, what they can do for us. That they can lend us their, their credibility, their, their coolness, their, you know, their social bona fides that we, you know, that, that we kind of move up a little bit in the social hierarchy at some levels we we let them slide on things that are truly are truly like not because you know we're we're showing grace but because we feel like we need more them more than they need the church and as jesus you know as he's on his march to jerusalem and where and he's going to to you know have the, the crowds and, and the and the leaders cast him down and crucify him It'd be really easy and tempting to to try to garner support from a man such as this. A man of wealth and status and privilege. But he doesn't do such a thing. No, no, no. He he gives them perhaps the hardest call in, in the scriptures. He says, you want to be perfect? Go and sell everything. Give it to the poor. And come follow me that Jesus is interested in this man's heart far more than he's interested in what this man can do for him in his movement and he puts it all on the line it's a good thing that that Jesus isn't like us is he that he doesn't he's not a respecter of persons not a respecter of those who who have a lot who have their their way in in the in the social milieu. No, Jesus is is one who, well, he has a disinterested love to the great and the lowly. And we see that right here in this man, in his call to, to give all. Read with me again, verses 21 and 22. So Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Did you notice the the strange thing here? It might not necessarily be what you what you expect, but here is in the synoptic gospels, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this is the only time Jesus is said to love somebody. Not his disciples not his closest friends, here. He looked at this man and loved him. And Jesus' call to this man to go and to sell everything, it's based upon what? It's not based upon, I need you to jump through a few hoops for me. He sees this man's life, and he loves him, and he says, well, through his love, because of his love, this is what you must do. You want to make up for what's lacking? This is how you do it. And so often when we hear the call of Jesus, when he touches these sore spots that we have we often say no, this is not the love of God. This is not his love manifest to me. No, no, he's attacking something of mine that's too deep and too personal and too hurtful. We'll often hear the the, the challenge and even the, the condemnation of, of God or Christ or the church when their standards set on, on what a Christian must do and to be. We see this particularly in, in the area of sexual ethics today. If God loved me, if Jesus loved me, if the church loved me, well, they let me have what I really want. But what we see here is when Jesus, who loves this man, and he says, no, nope, the very thing that you think that you want, this is what I'm calling you to give. In certain circumstances, we, we see this as obviously true, that, that our hearts deceive us. Right, like, if any of you have had family members who are addicts, and the desperate plight to get, to get more of the substance And eventually you have to say no to them. Not for your own sake, but for their sake. That you can't subsidize this lifestyle that's destroying them bit by bit anymore, can you? You have to say no. And if you're dealing with that and sometimes they'll, they'll become enraged at you. And whether to manipulate or whether they believe it, they'll say, you don't love me. You don't care at all about me. Because you've Put up boundaries for what's best in their life. Their hearts can't believe it that this is love, but this is love. And on the other side, God willing, they'll recognize your love at work. But when Jesus says that He, you know, when it says that Jesus loved this man and He tells him, "Hey, listen, go take the thing that's most precious to you, get rid of it." Well, this he's, it's because He's seeing what's the true good for this man's life. Right? To love someone is to, to want the best of their life. But what we think is the best of our life is not what Jesus is going to say is the best of our life, is it? And he's the one who sees you know, the, the entire reality of this man, his material reality and his spiritual reality. He's the one who sees his, his past, present, and future. He's the one who sees all this man's existence laid before him and he says, the best thing for you. It is to go to sell everything and come and follow me. What this rich man perceived as his greatest good, Jesus saw as his greatest hindrance. What, the, what he thought of as his security, Jesus saw as the thing that's drawing him into peril. What, what he saw as his great advantage, Jesus saw as his great obstacle. Are we willing to allow us to be surprised by Jesus' call on our life that the things that are most dear to us, the things that are most precious to us, that those are the very things that he's calling from us? Will we trust his voice? Will we trust him not just to pay our debt upon the cross, but will we trust him in what he says that this is what's good for you? When it seems to conflict so, well, so much with what we truly believe is for our good. In so doing Jesus, though, exposes the, what's really going on in the man's heart. The man, you know, he if asked, you know, I mean, do you obey the? the Ten Commandments, he'd probably say, yes, I've obeyed them since I was a boy. And yet here, Jesus exposes him not by asking him, well, do you, do you obey the first? You shall have no other gods before me. But in commanding him, it's made known. The man's true God is, is not the God of the scriptures, the, not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, the man's true God is his wealth. And so he says, No. I will not follow. And there is a call that Jesus has on, on his people. In particular, in the area of our wealth, our finances. A call that they belong to him. And to him alone. And you may be saying, well, yes, pastor. I I get, and this is, you know, if you know your scriptures, you you and you're a little bit more sophisticated in what the Bible has to say, you may say, yeah, Pastor, I understand that, that Jesus called this man, but he only called this man to give up all that he has. Right? Zacchaeus gave up half, and he said, yeah, salvation has come to this household. Others have no response about what they have to give. Doesn't Peter say to Ananias and Sapphira, all that you had belonged to you, you can do with it what you want? This is a call for this particular man. And it's true. This is a call for this particular man. But as Professor uh, Gundry says, this gives comfort only to the kind of people to whom he would issue this command. Right? That we want to hide in the particularism of Jesus' call when the... When the well. When the issue is clear, Jesus demands control, sovereign control over all of our resources, over all of that's dear to us, over all of our our finances. All of it, he says, well, this is mine. This belongs to me. And to withhold from him, he says, well, that's that's to withhold yourself from my call. To say that Jesus may be Lord over all things besides my bank account ultimately is to say that Jesus may not be Lord at all. To say he may be Lord over all things besides my bank account is to say that he he may not be Lord over me at all. So as a church, you know, one of the, the practices that the, you know, churches have engaged in is, you know, is the taking of offering. And I know for some that it's this cynical moment in the service where it seems like, oh, you know, people are having their hands out again. And, um, and yes, you know, churches collect offerings and tithes in order to, to you know, fund staff and buildings and to do ministry projects and to take care of the poor and do all these things. But another reason that we take offerings is because this is a part of our worship as the people of God. That we are declaring in each offering, each time that we give, that the Lord is Lord over our finances. Historically, we've, you know, there's been what's called a tithe, which is giving 10% of what we, of what we earn to the Lord. But that 10% is to represent all that we have. All that I have belongs to him. It's not just the 10% that I give so I can you know, feel like I'm a good Christian. No, it's this 10% represents everything that I have in my bank account. Everything that I've worked for, it all belongs to the Lord. It's all his and I'm giving it back to him. It's an essential part of worship for the people of God. To constantly, to remind ourselves... Yes, he too is lord over my my bank account. Lord over how I spend my money. Lord over how I save my money. Lord over how I steward my money. That if I hold back from him, I'm ultimately rejecting him. And we can't say that, you know, we are we often talk about we are being justified by faith in Christ, which is true, absolutely. I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to go and say that, you know, Jesus is, is teaching works righteousness here. That, you know, if you if do enough, then you can enter into the kingdom. But what Jesus, but part of our faith in Christ is not just faith that he, his work on the cross has, pays for our sins. But faith that in his, in who, what he says, this is the way. Faith that when he says that this is the path to the good life, that we believe him. This is the this is the way to please God, that this is the way for our good that seems so counterintuitive to what we think and feel and what our world celebrates, and yet we're gonna say, Yes, I will trust him. So often the people of God, myself included, you know, it's it's easy to to want to hold money as a, on the outside of the Lord's rule and reign of our lives. But here, as Jesus meets with this young man, and he says, well, what do, must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, it all belongs to me. It all belongs to the Lord. Go sell everything and then come and follow me. And I wonder if today, if the Lord is, is calling us, to a a time of repentance in our finances. To allow him to speak to us freshly, what is he requiring of me? What does he demand of me? Will we trust him? Will we trust that in his call, in his demand, that this is his love manifest over us, as it was with this rich young ruler? Will we trust that in, in the severity, in the, the exacting of his love, that it is his love that's calling us. I hope so. We call up the, the worship team as we pray. Kind Father, we, uh, we ask that you would help us to trust you. Trust your love that's manifest uh, in your demands of us that as you call us to to give, to give of ourselves, to give of our our time and money and resources and energy, that it is you, our loving God, who's calling us. Soften our hearts to hear your spirit here uh, this morning, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.